Hey guys, just a quick intro, and this was supposed to be one episode, but we had such an awesome discussion with Mark in the beginning on the Berman portfolio, how to organize your life, if you've lived in so many different countries pension-wise, how you do it with currencies that we found really worth splitting the episode in two. So the first part of our two episodes with Mark is going to focus on what I just mentioned, Texas, the permanent portfolio, how he sees it himself, his investing methods, how you deal with all the currency fluctuations, how do you deal with like five different retirement systems in all those different countries. Going from there, so we have to focus on that. And the second one, well, you see in episode two. Good luck. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Erminta, and Matthias. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back again to another episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. Uh, today, we're actually going to do something uh, pretty awesome. Uh, we're going to discuss a country where we were all actually just two weeks ago, uh, where we had a five retreat, Portugal. And to run through that, um, I got my co-host to help me out. Hey, Matthias. Bonjour. And uh, the guest of today, Mark from Portugal. Hi. How are you guys? Cool. Mark, awesome to have you. And I probably have to clarify that one. You're, you're living in Portugal, but where are you originally from? I'm from the UK originally, northern UK near Newark, but I left there when I was in my early 20s and I've lived in six different countries now. Nice one. And we're going to dive into uh, your whole origin story in a second. But yeah, actually, well, not in a second right now. So yeah, Mark, could you give us like a, a brief breakdown of where you're about from? You already told us kind of like you know, how you came in touch with financial independence. Well, I'm, like I said, I'm from, I'm from the UK originally, and I left there when I was young, and I lived in Greece for a while, um, lived in Germany for a couple of years, then the USA in different states, and then right before I retired, I lived in Mexico, and then moved to Portugal um, about three years ago. You are financially independent already, right? You, you are retired in Portugal, and what was it, 49? Yeah, a little, little before 50, I, I, um, I actually retired. There was, um, I, you know, I'd been doing the FI thing for a long time, even not knowing what I was doing some of the time, because obviously I'm, I'm over 50 years old now. So, you know, I, I started a long time ago, but um, I've been doing the FI thing for about the last three years and, and since I've been in Portugal, basically, yeah. Awesome. And that was actually also kind of like the question, like how did you come in touch with financial independence? Because you said you kind of already did it before without knowing about it, but like, how did you learn about it? Well, you know, I, I mean, ever since I was young, um, I, I'd always had the goal of retiring early. I didn't want to be in the rat race forever. But, um, and you know, when you're working for a living, it's difficult to, to see the end of the road being being real close. So um, I, I'd always saved and um, I'd always been told to save at least 10% of whatever I earned. And I'd always done that. And then I think it was, there was a book came out in 1991 or 1992, I think it was, by a um, person called Vicky Robin and it called Your Money or Your Life. And they started to talk about FI in there, but it wasn't really called FI. I don't remember what it was called. I mean, it's a long time ago, but it, it, it was basically putting a target um, on when you want to retire and, and, and getting some ideas of, of things rather than just having a target of, oh, I don't want to do this forever. It was, it was kind of focusing on when you're going to do it and how are you going to do it. So that's kind of, that's kind of when I started to plan and, and looking at what I was earning at the time, it wasn't a great deal. So, you know, I, I just hoped to retire when I was 50 years old. And obviously, as my career went on, things got better. And as you get older, and more um, experienced in your career, you earn more money. Um, and I just stuck to the just stuck to the, the principles of saving everything I could, but still having a good life. I wouldn't say living too frugally, but you know, I, I wasn't spending what a lot of my um, a lot of my friends were, were spending. I would I would still enjoy myself, but I would try and save what I could and, and invest the way I could. And I was always trying to find ways for investing and, and making my money work for me. 
So um, how actually did you accumulate your wealth then over time? So you said, you mentioned that you haven't spent too much money, uh, not really frugal, but not spending too much money. Uh, have there been one-time events where you saved a lot or some investments in startups or where, where did your money come from that you now can retire? I was in software and I was lucky enough to be in the US in, uh, in Silicon Valley when the dot-com or what eventually became the dot-bomb era came. So I was working for software companies. I never really got lucky where I made millions and millions from any one company. It's, um, you know, at that time, you, you, you were working for startups where um, they'd give you some shares and if the company got sold, you'd get some. But I never really had a, a huge event where I made lots of money. It was more about um, ongoing earning and saving and then investing. I, uh, I did the stock market, same as everybody, but, but the stock market scared me a lot of the time. So I, I looked for portfolios to where I could make money but not have to see the drawdowns um, that you see with a lot of the investments. I guess that was a long answer, Matthias, but it, it, was, it was basically um, uh, investing and saving the money that I was earning to get to where I was. So kind of ETF portfolios with, with partly bonds so that you don't have these bigger drawdowns or well, just do it yourself, stock portfolios? But you know, what happened was, you know, to give you the story on that, I, I, I tried stocks and, and, and all that, but I, I came across a book um, in the US by a guy called Harry Brown, simple name, but a, a very intelligent guy, an economist, and he actually ran for the US presidency many years ago. Um, but it was called The Permanent Portfolio. And basically, it's a very, very simple um, methodology where you, you invest 25% of your money in stocks, 25% uh, of your money in long-term bonds, 25% in gold and then you keep 25% in cash. When this came out in the, in the 70s, the book was uh, you know, originally uh, thought up. It wasn't written until the 80s, and then there was another copy in the 90s. But what I liked about it is uh, you could track it. Harry Brown had been investing this way for many years, and you could even back then, you could put this information into a computer and what they call back tests, so see how it's performed over time. Um, and what I liked about it is you know, it's, it's average getting on towards towards 10% or 8 to 10% for, for many, many years. Um, but more importantly for me um, uh, were the drawdowns. So if you look at the stock market, that can draw down 50%, which sounds great when you're, when you're in for it for the long term, or I shouldn't say sounds great, which sounds normal, but when you're actually watching the market draw down, I mean by draw down your money disappearing, obviously, um, it could be very uncomfortable when your hard-earned cash is worth 50% of what it was worth, say, a year ago. So um, the permanent portfolio really helps with drawdowns and the way that bonds and gold react when the stock market crashes and things like that. Um, and I think the biggest drawdown on the permanent portfolio at the time was like 17%. Um, so I, I liked that. It made me more comfortable to invest that way. And over the, over the years, I've done a lot of backtesting myself and, and, and modeling, um, simulating um, different assets. And I've added a couple of REITs, uh, real estate investment trusts, into the, into the mix on my portfolio, which helps with the income and the, and the gains, and it also uh, minimizes the drawdowns. So that's kind of what I've done for, I don't know, well over 20 years now um, with my own capital. It's very easy. It compounds and grows over time. So and where, where's your capital located right now? Do you still have a lot of money in the US or in Portugal? Um, I, I have money all over the place. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm a great believer in diversification. Don't put all your eggs in one basket in everything from, you know, from um, assets all the way through to different brokers. So I have a, a lot of my money's in still in US dollars uh, because that's where it came from and, and uh, where it was earned. And also um, US dollars are the world reserve currency. Um, so it's a relatively 
safe place to have it. And if you look long-term, the U.S. dollars against the, the euro or the pound, um, it's actually been climbing, and the, the euro and the, and the Great Britain pound have been, have been declining on the long term. So I, I leave most of my money in um, dollars, um, just because it makes sense to them. I'm, I'm making money, basically, because I live in euros in Portugal. By leaving most of my money in dollars, it, it, you know, I'm still making. But I, I do have uh, holdings, obviously, in, in pounds, which I... Um, invest in peer-to-peer lending, and also um, euros as well, which I invest in peer-to-peer -to -peer -to lending. So, and um, the strategies, Harry Brown's strategy helped you to, to stick with the strategies also there, when there were, uh, were huge market drawdowns and the performance, although there's cash and gold involved um, and bonds, which are right now not yeah, known for their, their great returns. So it still made you a lot of money. So that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, when you say bonds are not known for the great return, that's if you look at the coupon, right? But if you look at the value of bonds, and I'm talking, and specifically here I'm talking U.S. treasuries because that's mostly what I'm in. If you look at the values of those recently, not the coupon, um, they've actually been going up a lot. So it, it depends how you look at your investment. Mm -hmm. And fair call, and I believe also historically, uh, the actual yields you could get on U.S. bonds have been far higher than back in Europe and not to get into a whole discussion on bonds, et cetera, but right now, what is it on US treasuries, the 2.8 to 3.1-ish percent you can get versus the 0.2 on German uh, stat paper or just in general company bonds back in the US. Uh, yeah, I can definitely see a case for combining that in a portfolio. My US spare cash is in treasury bonds as well. But one thing I wanted to add to that, what I find interesting with the permanent portfolio, if the volatility stays so minimal, um, within a band range of what like 20% or so that it's it makes it mentally far easier to stick with your investments not to sell off versus an ETF portfolio that could have seen uh, in 2008 a 50% drop if it would only have dropped 16 17 18% that's i can imagine for a lot of investors it makes life easier um and if you give up on 1 or 2% or whatever of returns i'm not sure have you back tested um the permanent portfolio versus a more standard etf portfolio like one of the bogle heads ones for example i have and if you look on my website i published i published the results of the portfolio and um, i put kind of a challenge on there that if anybody can 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 present a portfolio that you can backtest for at least 20 years that has the drawdowns that are as limited as the, the permanent portfolio or, or the, basically the, 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 the modified permanent portfolio that I use um, that also has the income. Um, I'd, I'd, be, I'd love to hear about it because I'd love to diversify into more than that. And um, I've never had anybody come back and can match all of the being able to backtest, the drawdowns and everything else. For instance, you know, in the 2008-2009 crash, uh, my portfolio drew down, I think, 14.25% or something like that, um, where the S&P was down 54% at one point. So it, it really does help mentally um, to know that your money's not disappearing. You know, a 14% haircut is, is, is okay, and you can deal with that. But as I said earlier, 50% um, of your money disappearing in a year, it's difficult. And what human nature um, is, of course, you, you know, the, the stocks go down so much and so much, and people in the end just say, I'm going to bail out and take what I've got because I can see all my money disappearing. And that's exactly the point when the market rallies back up um, and leaves you at the bottom taking that 50% haircut, right? Yes, and um, it's also if you're a little bit older and near your retirement, you also don't you don't like to have a drawdown of of fifty percent because you then need more you need your money available, and um, yeah, that's why it might be good to uh, investigate a little bit more into that. 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's done great for me. Like I say, I've been doing it for a long, long time and, and I won't change anytime soon. So, Mark, um, are you still working? Because, I mean, you're probably not working full-time, what is nowadays called full-time, but are you still doing something on the side, having a business or something like that? Um, I don't work um, for the for the career that I was in before. I, when I first retired, I did for a few months cause, just because the company that I was working with had um, uh, fill in my position and I was an exec executive-level position, so they had to fill that. Um, But now, no, I don't. I don't do anything like that. All I do is run my website. Um, I um, obviousinvestor.com. I uh, obviously that's where we got to know each other, and I, I run my website and keep that up to date. Mostly just for something to do. I've been in software all my life, so it, it, it lets me keep my hand in with technology and also um, publish the results of my investments or, or some of my investments monthly for people to for, for new FI people who are looking for ways to invest. It, it, it allows them to follow it real time than just reading something in a book or a website that's, that's giving all the information but not, not showing any proof of the way things work. Yeah, you also, you have to manage your money. So, I mean, you have to do it and then you just write an article about it. So it's... Yeah, I mean, my peer-to-peer my -peer lendings, I, I publish everything on the web about that. So I manage that and then I publish every month about um, uh, once a month. I publish an update that says why I've done what I've done and how I've done it. With the with the growth, what I call the growth portfolio, which is the, the modified permanent portfolio, I, I've created a spe specifically a small portfolio on there that I publish that people can go see, but update again monthly just to see how it does. But, um, you know, the maintenance on that is very, very, uh, very, very low. It's literally you rebalance um, once a year, takes about two hours, uh, and then you leave it, the growth portfolio. So there's very little to do on that. There's more, there's more activity on the P2P lending um, than there is on the growth portfolio. What I wanted to ask, like earlier, you mentioned you liked uh, diversifying between brokers and that most of your money is back in the US. What kind of tax advantage accounts have you used, like between all the countries you've lived? Have you just like added to the pension systems of every single country and like you got a spreadsheet where you track them all in or like how have you organized that? Yeah, I mean, basically, I, I track everything in just a, just an Excel spreadsheet. I have one for all my assets, and then I have different sheets for like, like I have one for peer-to-peer -peer lending, that I just track my peer-to-peer -peer investments. And I actually put that on my website. People can download it if they want to use the same thing. And then for all my assets, I have, you know, the broker, where it's at, how much is in there, and what, what assets I'm invested in. To answer your question on the benefits of U.S. brokers, there are actually many. It's very competitive in the U.S. obviously uh, brokerages and, and the fees you'll find for trading, even trading European stocks and shares and, and U.K. stocks and shares um, are generally less than U.K. or European brokers. They also, many of the U.S. brokers also um, pay interest on your cash deposits. So, for example, interactive brokers, I use, I use interactive brokers as one of my, uh, one of my brokers. Um, if, if you've not heard of them, they're huge. They're, they're, they're an ap absolutely huge U.S. broker. Um, and they actually pay interest on cash that you've got sat in the brokerage if it's not invested, depending on the currency that you use, of course. I, with U.S. dollars, I think they pay about 2.25% right now for idle cash that's sat there. Um, and then commissions are so low. I mean, if, if you do a trade on ETFs, for instance, on US ETFs, it's, it's very, very low. It's like 250 or 350 a trade or something like that, dollars I'm talking about. And that's $3.50, not 350. And it's very similar with, with uh, UK and European stocks. The commissions are very, very low. I also use TradeStation as a brokerage. And I use that um, specifically because um, if, you, if you have a certain amount in there, there there's no fees and you also get to use their um, TradeStation software for charts and things like that. So I keep money in there, again, for diversification purposes and also so I get the free free um, software and data uh, coming through that I like to look at. 
you know, I have retirement accounts in the U.S. that I've, that I've called 401ks um, and IRAs that I've, I've, um, I've contributed to over the years. Um, and they're also invested in the, in the um, modified permanent portfolio that I use. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I do find it pretty interesting in terms of comparison. I'm just at this very moment, I logged into my own brokerage account with the the Giro.co.uk and they uh, they also have a money market fund and they pay uh, 0.00 on the actual cash uh, I've got in my account. So I find it an interesting comparison. Um, at the same time, like for actual trades, like I pay two pounds plus 0.02, so two basis points for uh, plus two euro for every trade. I'm making through them. So there are cheap brokers out there in Europe, but you're right. And generally speaking, there are a lot cheaper in the US. And the reason why I was also kind of like asking how you organized and divided things is because that's actually a question I came by um, early this week on Facebook on one of the five groups. Somebody was asking, hey, you know, I've lived in so many different countries and all these pension systems. And like, how, how do I track and organize this? And I've got that myself as well. I've lived in, what is it by now, five countries. I've worked in five countries, contributed to pensions. And I also have an Excel spreadsheet per country with different currencies on all the brokerage accounts I got. But it does mean in the end, I probably have close to like 25 to 30 bank accounts and brokerage accounts divided over all those countries in different currencies. And it can sometimes be um, after, after, yeah, quite a hassle to keep managing it. If it's just like a thousand or so, I tend to like, when I leave the country, just cash it out uh, and transfer it over to euros. But for larger amounts, I like to leave it in currencies where I actually accumulated in. That's the tricky part with that is obviously FX and trying to play around with currencies is something I find dangerous. But at the same time, when like I've got an enormous amount saved up in a certain currency, and it tends to drop like by 20, 30% that year when I actually want to transfer it over and I don't need the money yet. Then I'd rather just wait uh, like five, six years or whenever I will have a need for it, which you can technically classify as timing the market. But at the same time, currencies go up and down every 10, 20 years. There will always be a moment where either the euro is crazy high or crazy low. And we can debate the trends, but that's one thing I found. Okay, I'm happy taking that risk and waiting it out, um, which again, uh, we can debate if it's wise, uh, but that's kind of uh, what your comments sparked here, me. Uh, and based on what I read earlier, it was actually uh, on uh, the Financial Independence Europe page from Firehub, that you cool page, everybody check it out. Really big community, 1.5K people, I believe in the group there now. Good discussions. Anyway, I just found it interesting. Mark is living like still for 40 years, 30 years, 40 years. So what's, do you have a plan uh, for it? Are you aiming for something? Do you want to live like from um, just uh, hanging out, playing pool at night? Or are you still having any plans or are you just in, on, in a phase of orientation? What, what's the plan uh, for, for your life and maybe also for your wife, if you have a wife? <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I do. Um, okay. You know, um, right now we just bought, we just bought the new house. And what I tend to do, I've, you know, because I'm because I am financially independent now, um, you know, I spent my, my whole life um, going towards that goal. It was always based on how much money can you earn? How much money can you save? Um, when can I get there? And and that was kind of my focus. And, and um, although I was married um, and divorced, uh, most of the time I, I spent a single working and uh, my 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 career was traveling a lot around the world. So now I'm retired. Um, I, I recently got married, actually, and um, my, my wife's quite a bit younger than me. So we're we're dealing with the house that we bought now. And, you know, when you first buy a house, there's lots of things you want to change. Um, so we're doing that. Um, and and long-term plans is, it, it, I don't have any 
target of long-term plans as far as, oh, I must achieve this or I must achieve that. You know, I run my website, um, we're, we're fixing the house, and then it's nice to be able to sit there and say, okay, um, what's the next thing we want to do? I mean, we, we really just don't play pool every night and, and drink every night and, and, and do nothing. We, we're always doing something, and it's, it's the house right now. And then, um, you know, once we've got this to, if we ever get this um, to where we want it to be, then it'll be, it'll, you know, we'll, we'll find something next that we want to do. I know it sounds uh, very different to a career, but that's kind of the plan right now. We've always, it, we, we often say, you know, I have no idea how I managed manage to get the time to work. We're too busy being retired, you know. <laughs> um, yes, I also see my grand, uh, my grandfather also had a lot of stuff to do always in the house, in the garden. And yeah, yeah he was not, not bored. And it's also fine to do one thing and then think about the next thing. So one step after the other. And it's also good to, if you maybe want to adopt the Portuguese lifestyle as a laid back lifestyle, you don't have to have like a 13 year plan <laughs> to plan ahead. No, no, I mean, Portuguese, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt that. Um, Portuguese way of life is very, very different. You know, they're, they're generally happy people and they don't, they don't have, uh, not everybody, but, but in general, the, they don't have a lot of money. They don't make a lot of money. But I hate to say it as, as if it's not important, but, but they don't care. They, they just enjoy life, you know. The local um, bar slash um, pastry shop, which uh, up the road from us, um, you can sit outside there in an afternoon. And, and the Portuguese thing is they'll be working and they'll stop in. They'll have a glass of wine, very small, quick glass of wine with their friends. And then they'll leave again and go back to work. And you can see, you know, all day, 10, 20 people um, just, just drop in. They're in there for 10 minutes and then they leave again after they've had the glass of wine and they happily go back to work. Maybe the wine is what makes them happy. I don't know. Yeah, some countries they have wine and other they have cannabis. Yeah, <laughs> 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 that's very true. Yeah, maybe in in Germany also in the industry countries we have to relearn um, the relaxed, more relaxed lifestyle. When I mean everything is automated, and I mean we don't have to work like four four days, five days. If I would say if if like fifty percent of the population are not working anymore, th th we still have everything we need to have. So uh, we could afford to have a more relaxed lifestyle and have also more time for friends, also for your wife and the other wife and the other wife. And yeah, so it's uh, maybe we learned it. And I, I know from, from earlier times in Germany, also my, my, my grandfather, the other one, had a small shop in a small village. And then people were coming, like the, the, the driver for juice and so on. And also he, they were delivering beer and bread and so on. And they always stopped for, for beer and for some sausage to talk. And they were, well, they were not stressed because they had no, like nowadays you have exactly the times it should last when you deliver something, but in early times, nobody cared. You can just do a stop and so on. So I know from the, so from the past in Germany, it was also like similar to the Portuguese lifestyle that you just, yeah, that it was more relaxed than nowadays. Cool one. And the last comment I would like to make on that is I would like to learn that as in I've been my whole life is kind of like work, focus, work more, work harder, do more, be more productive, etc. Uh, and unlearning that and going more into a more relaxed lifestyle I think that's honestly pretty hard to do because we're all so used to it. So it's actually something I'm trying right now. I'm working less, uh, relaxing more, focusing more on health and other things, but making that transition. I'm interesting if we're able to do it as a society, go back to like a more relaxed lifestyle, the thing that stress actually kills us. But anyway, to kind of like end my monologue on that one, guys, any more comments before uh, we end this part of the episode? 
I think you're exactly right about the, the relaxing. I found it really, really difficult to get into the, um, the Portuguese lifestyle. Not really as far as relaxing is concerned, but as far as just everything's, everything can wait. You know, when you've, when you've been in a, in a hectic career where everything's got to be now, 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 and, you know, you're, you're attached to your phone 24-7 and, and your email and your texts and everything else, and then, you know, you go to somewhere where, where they're pretty relaxed in general. Um, unless you're in Lisbon, it's like everything can wait and they'll get to it. Um, it can actually drive you crazy um, and, and drive you insane um, unless you can really just sit back and say, okay, no one's going to die if this doesn't happen today. So sit back. So uh, I agree. It's, it's difficult. But it's, when you get there, it's nice. And I'm, I'm not trying to say I'm there yet. I still get frustrated at certain things. Um, I've been waiting to get some shower cubicles made now for a month and I can't even get a quote on it. But that's probably a story for later with the Portugal stuff. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, guys, anyway, then we're slowly um, going to cut off this part of the episode. We initially wanted to talk straight away about Portugal, but Mark made such awesome comments about the permanent portfolio that we really thought, OK, let's cut this episode into two. So this will be part one. And now we're going to, well, yeah, probably have to wait an extra week for that. We're going to jump over to the Portugal uh, segment and discuss retiring, living over there and the pros and cons and why it's awesome and Mark's story around that. But for the actual um, conversation, you have to wait until next week. So, guys, see you next week. Okay, sounds good. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing through your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.